0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Latitude Podcast. My name is Lamont, and I am your host. Today's conversation is with Eric Kruger and John Sane. If you haven't heard of them before, which is unlikely if you are a podcast-listening South African or even an international listener, they are the voices of the Expansive Podcast. Behind this, they are highly successful leadership and development professionals and keynote speakers. Between them, they have achieved a lot in this space, including having written best-selling books and working with big international companies that you would know as global brands and household names. It was a privilege for me to have this caliber of person in the personal brand arena to chat to. Their podcast, The Expansive, has done phenomenally well. They are over 180 episodes in, and recently they were in the top 5% of shared podcasts globally on Spotify. That's impressive. Since we recorded this episode, they have won another award, the Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year from the Association of African Podcasters and Voice Artists. I'm at the beginning of my podcasting journey, and the truth is, it mostly feels like I'm talking into the abyss. And so to keep going, I find myself needing to draw quite deeply on occasion on significant internal resources to maintain psychological momentum for this project which it must be said, I really do love doing. I discussed this with the guys in the podcast, using creating a podcast as the launch pad. We talk about sources of personal resilience, goal setting versus daily habits as routes to personal achievement. We talk about how leadership styles can be formed by friction and early trauma. We drift into the changing world of work and leadership and some of the new norms emerging in that space, particularly driven by the youth, And we talk about the healing that needs to happen among people in South Africa, a topic quite close to my heart. It may sound from that as if the conversation goes all over the place, but on reflection it actually flowed really well. John and Eric have a great chemistry as thinking partners, and it manifested as an awesome way for me to get some free coaching from experts in the personal development and leadership space. I suspect you may gain something as well. And so, let's get into it. Now I bring you John Sane and Eric Kruger of the Expansive Podcast. John Sane, Eric Kruger, welcome to the Latitude Podcast.
1: Lamont. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Lamont, nice to have you both here. Yeah, so I got familiar with you guys uh, relatively recently, and um, had quite phenomenal success with the expansive podcast. It's grown, what are you at, 180 episodes now, three years in. Um, what's the, the main accolade there? The top shared, one of the top 5% shared podcasts on Spotify
1: globally. Yeah. Which was a total surprise to us. In fact, we were in the middle of a rebrand. Yeah. And um, it was December, right? Mm. And Eric sent me a screenshot of Spotify's top 5%, and we were like, That's unbelievable. We had no idea. And then a couple days later, we saw Gareth Cliff share on his Instagram that he's in the top 10%. Okay. And Eric and I... Smirked at each other. That's not good <laughs> <laughs> In private on our WhatsApp chat. We're like, <laughs> yes. Well, it's
0: not in private anymore. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. But big ups to Gareth. I
1: mean, he really did lead this podcast revolution and so Yeah, that. for yes, sure. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, did you we'll wave just, past him on the way goodbye? On the past? <laughs> um, I'll be I'll be telling him next time I see him in real life. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool.
0: So I'm interested, uh I'm at the very beginning of my podcasting journey. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I must be honest. I'm still sort of finding my feet and kind of figuring out what the podcast itself is all about. But I love having conversations with people. I love learning through conversation. And it's such a cool way to network, actually. And a cool way to get... There's There's a kind of a... There's gold that comes out of conversation itself. Like it has these little emergent properties and people benefit from those and f- yeah, forever we've just been losing all of this now we've got podcasting and it's taking off and going crazy you guys have an awesome energy uh, with your podcast and you bring very cool messaging to people it's uplifting it's leadership focused it's self-improvement focused um, you've got various spins I suppose you can describe those better yourselves but how did it start? What made you start doing this? What, what's the genesis of your podcast?
2: It, it depends how far back you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the short of it is that uh, John and I met uh, around 2018. Through various things that happened, we became thinking partners, uh, which was just like to spend time together once a week or every second week to think about our careers, think about the things that we talk about, And it got to a point where I remember I was actually quite nervous about it. I
1: remember you said.
2: That, uh, you know, I had this idea. I was like, oh, like we should do a podcast together. Okay. And I was like, okay, I need to ask him, but he's busy. And like, I I hate rejection. Like, what if he says no? And I remember sending that WhatsApp to him. And like within a minute, it was like, yes, I mean, let's do it.
1: In capitals.
2: In capitals. I was like, yeah, of
1: course.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we... I had a bit of a conversation about what the, the the name was gonna be, but I actually think I had this in in my mind, which was it was gonna be the expansive. And when I presented it to you, you were like, Well, that was my word for the year, the previous year, yeah. or you know. And so it was just like synchronicity. the synchronicity mm. of everything coming together. Okay. And since then, like the expansive <clears throat> has really become the expansive. Mm. Like the it's been really cool how the name yes. has kind of carved the way forward for us everything that we've experienced as a result of the podcast yes. has truly been expansive.
1: You know, what also really was amazing is I was in Copenhagen and I was in my hotel and I remember I was freezing outside and I got back to my hotel and I had a message from you and you're like, you won't believe what's happened. I was like, what? We were number one in South Africa. Mm. And it was after the like second week we'd launched, I was like, what is going on here? I mean, we were both like, what? Mm. Like, we were just so shocked. Even when we saw the 5% Spotify. yeah. And I think what it is, is that we're just two friends talking about stuff. The fact that there's thousands of people on the other yes. side listening is just a, such a gift and a surprise, to be honest. Delightful surprise. Mm. Did you have an objective in place when you first started it? Or was it just
0: because you thought there was something special about it? There's a little spark between...
1: The two of you. Look, I think it was that uh, we didn't understand the marketing genius that the podcast can be. Yes. And we had no idea. And okay. we found it to really have developed relationships around the world for us yes. without us ever being in the room, you know? And so in the strangest of places, people will come up to me and be like, oh, like a mother with three kids and a waiter at a restaurant. Like the weirdest and strangest places people are coming up and like, oh. I listen to your podcast. I love this episode. And they start reciting certain things. I'm like, what? Yeah. (laughs) yeah,
0: That's cool. Um, So it sounds like it sort of just started going well from the very beginning. And I'm like, for me, it's different. I Like my source of resilience, I'm trying to figure that out for myself quite a lot, right? Just in life generally, like the things that I pursue, how do I keep doing them? How do I make sure I keep doing them? And one of them is this, this podcast. So I'm confused by it. I feel a little bit like an imposter. I'm not a, I don't come from a broadcasting background. I'm not a celeb kind of person. Um, I can talk in front of people, but I don't gravitate towards doing it. So it's kind of putting yourself out there is one thing that I have to challenge. Having conversations where you can kind of get some value out of it is another thing that I'm not trained in or well-versed at, et cetera. You know, mostly just been in command and control situations, my most of my career. So this is, uh, anyway, and yeah, so trying to figure it out, nervous about Mm -hmm. it. And my source of resilience has been to just, it's the opposite of advice that I give startups and stuff. Whenever someone's got a startup and it's not quite yet, doesn't have its market traction, I'm always like, okay, go and speak to your market, find out what they're saying, get feedback, get tangible feedback, and then it becomes more investable. But since I've started doing this, I thought, no, 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 no. I don't want to know what anyone says at all. <laughs> I'm in that phase where if I get any negative feedback now, I'm doing it because I love it. Right. Mm. It's the thing that keeps me going. And I think that like my resilience is just to put this shield up. Even the people around me here will come back and say, Oh, I don't want to show you the stats of this most recent podcast. I'm like, No, 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 no. I don't don't show me. I don't want to see until we're on like Episode 20. I know I can get there in my head, one step after another. And that's the source of, I guess, my resilience for this podcast. But also I've been thinking about it. It's kind of my source of resilience in other places as well. It's kind of just to, if I know deep down this is real and sparky and good, keep following that. So let me hand it over to you guys. You didn't, didn't sound like you had any dark mm. times in the beginning of this podcast but you may be at an inflection point now. Like uh, it's kind of like in the last episode I heard you mention, uh, well, maybe it wasn't the last episode, but the chat GPT question one mm. that you guys had.
2: Going. Yeah, because we've run out of ideas to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You mean that episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're talking about like, what next. Yeah. So maybe your dark
0: times coming now if you've had others, but what has been your, talk to us about Sources yeah. of Resilience.
2: Can, can I just say, um, whenever someone asks me about starting a podcast, I tell them don't. And I, I, I mean that just sort of jokingly in that it's one of the hardest things that you will ever do. Because of course, what we want is that when we start something, we want to see a certain outcome. yeah And with podcasting, you're going to be speaking into the abyss for a long time. Uh, because it's just so hard to get people to listen to a pod for, for many, many reasons. But if you are very metric focused, uh, you'll become completely demotivated very early on. Okay. And you'll never hit 20 episodes, which by the way, you've probably done your research and you know that 20 episodes is where most people stop recording. So actually, if you can get your pod past 20 episodes, you automatically become part of the like 5% of podcasts that still exist in the world.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Because 90% yeah. of
2: people quit before they hit 20 episodes. Okay. So... Uh, you need to be okay with like, it's going to be silent around you for a long time. Mm. And when we started the pod, I think we were just always focused on the process, you know, and it was always, the reward was actually spending time together every week. Yes. Talking about interesting topics, loving the process of learning, because geez, if I tell you over the past three years, the amount of things we've tried, we've gone through <laughs> uh like it's been it's been wild yeah but it's been i think we've we've both just really loved the process of learning and what we've gained from that and so because of that we've been able to continue going we always said to each other that we'll stop recording the pod when it's no longer fun and interesting and, and we're not loving it so i think you're on the right track that you need to love the process first mm. and worry about metrics much later on mm. what are your thoughts?
1: yeah I think you you spot on I think your language around the dark times is not necessary I think the language should be I'm in an experimentation and trial yes and you know that in itself is showing growth mindset growth mindset says I enjoy the challenge I'm not stuck to an outcome I'm yes. doing it because I enjoy it and that in itself allows dopamine to be released into your brain and you get that mm, small wins along the way and if you start looking at metrics and outcomes so initially yes in fact ever i mean even eric and i we look at numbers and like the numbers are the same as last month and we're like oh you know it hasn't grown like what we wanted it to that's i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. i just want to have my small wins i had a great conversation in fact the other day i was in qatar and both of us were in an okay place but when we finished the pod we're in a totally different mood and I messaged him. I was like, you know, that part was so great because it changed my mood. And he's like, me too. It also changed my mood. And that was the win. The mm. fact that we had a few thousand people listening, I don't know, that wasn't part of the thing. So yeah. I think your language should should, or may I suggest to say it's, you know, I'm in the beginning of it. I'm trialing it out. I'm excited by it. I'm nervous by it because I'm being vulnerable and people are listening to me that I'm not quite comfortable with. Yes. But I'm doing this because I actually mm. want to engage with some new version of myself, meet some new people. And it's exciting. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Yeah, it is exciting, and I think it's a. There's a lesson there for if you're starting anything, really, right? Is to, in the beginning, you're always you're always going to be in a phase where there's you are pre market traction, which you don't know whether or not you're going to get that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So something's going to keep you going. Obviously, it's got to be that positivity, mm-hmm. but you got to go, keep asking yourself why am I doing this, and reminding yourself that that's the. It's, I even start getting caught in the trap now. Even if they're like little signs that this is successful, I sort of go, ooh, okay, who can I invite next? Who's it? And it turns into something, it becomes bastardized a little bit, like I get excited by just the slightest sign of...
2: <laughs> but you're allowed <laughs> to be, you should be.
0: Yeah, 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 but I actually just, you know, I've got to keep reminding myself, okay, no, you're just doing this to have conversations with cool, interesting people, right? That is it. You don't even have to release the, the podcast.
2: Well, not. I think
1: the thing also is uh, you must force yourself to release it because that puts pressure on you to... Do it professionally. Yes. Um, and the secondly is, I wouldn't call it positive thinking. I'll call it curiosity. Yes. It's not about being positive all the time. It's about just being curious. Oh, I'm
2: feeling down. Let me be curious. Yes. And I'm feeling
1: up. Okay, let me feel curious. Yes. So curiosity doesn't put any pressure on you. It just mm. is a curiosity.
2: I remember when I just started uh, any sort of journey documenting things in public. Mm. And it was around 2015-ish, because I started Better Man and it was this whole thing about how do you be better by the time you go to bed tonight than what you were when you woke up this morning. Mm. And I remember this heavy feeling of imposter syndrome because I was like, you know, who am I really to talk about being a better man? Like, I'm very much a work in progress. Yeah. So who who am I to speak about this? And the reframe that changed everything for me was that I'm not sharing expertise or my wisdom I'm sharing my journey with you. Yes. And if it's a journey, it means you can come along with me. Mm. I'm not at the top and you, like a follower, we are in this together. Mm. And that reframe made all the difference.
1: We're still on that reframe with Expansion. For sure, yeah. Actually, we laugh at ourselves because often we're like, can you believe it? After all this work, I'm still triggered by that thing that I thought I got rid of (laughs) three years ago and I'm still triggered by it. What a weird scenario.
0: So it's still a journey. Yeah, Totally. And you guys are high achievers. I mean, ChatGPT said so in that last.
2: Thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Must be then. Must be. You can't
0: dupe ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting the the tension between. Well, if you guys struggle with it, I do. Uh, the tension between being goal directed. I quite like it. Like I want to achieve things. Right in my mind, over the long term, I have clear visions of stuff I want to pull off. But then when I try and draw the thread between that and the steps to do it. It just is, I mean, it's a shit show basically, right? I I try and drill it into what should I do tomorrow? And this typically happens on a Sunday if I've had a big weekend and then I'm planning the next week. Okay, I've got to get back on track. I've got to do this stuff. I want to achieve this in career. I want to achieve this in love. I want to achieve this in friendship, whatever it may be. Um, And I make these lists and I break them down into smaller little lists and then You know, you work for a couple of days, you manage to tick a couple of things off the list, but you're not in control of that. Then life happens and it's just kind of, it's loose and it's all over the place. And I get confused and I, the thing that I've come to believe is more useful for me is to just ground what I'm doing in the day in some sort of healthy habit that serves that ultimate goal. One of you is a meditator. Which one? One of you? No, is well,
2: both of us are. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. What style of meditation do you, you guys do? Uh,
1: Dr. Jodas spends a guided meditations. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. he's got a whole science-proven process of moving you through brainwaves. Yes. <clears throat> so it's uh, he's got an Emmy award-winning musician who, like layers in, We're based all on on brain patterning and brain waves. So it's a very scientific way of going through it. And with that process, you can be in there for two hours. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, It's got a very good way of doing that. Okay. Look, I think your process around being goal-orientated for me is a very difficult process to follow because of the levels of uncertainty that are ahead of us. Yes, And I think the world's become more uncertain than ever before. And a lot of our goals are stuck to some level of addiction to certainty. And when we draw such clear pictures of what we want... It sometimes is a very difficult thing to try and achieve. And then what we do is we scold ourselves Mm. for not doing it well enough. Yes. And we get into a pattern of, I should have done better. I should have pushed myself more. And in fact, in a pod recently, I was commenting that I think that's actually a form of self-abuse. Yes. Masked in the idea of excellence and professionalism. Yes. And I think that idea is making people sick. Yes. And we never achieve because you get to the end of the day and I didn't do enough. You get to the end of the week, I didn't do enough. And so there's always this, I didn't do enough. So the way we've started talking about it is, how do you build systems and habits? And your win at the end of the day is, did I stick to my system and habit? Cool. The outcome is a vague goal. It's like, it's there, yes. but it's not what I'm fixated with. What I'm fixated with is the system and the habit in the day and allow that goal to, to evolve because you also don't know how it's going to evolve. Mm. like many times like something's happened to me and I'm like whoa I didn't expect that it it is achieving what I want to achieve but not the way I thought it was going to be Mm. but I was very clear with my system and process and and Eric always talks about accretion it's like this process of accretion accretion is not about an outcome accretion Mm. is about a daily habit that allows that outcome to come into fruition you guys have mm. also spoken about compounding. Mm. Um, I'm not sure which one of you it was. It's
2: hard to
0: make you out sometimes in the podcast. <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> I was going to say, you should, if you use each other's names a little bit more often, it would make it easy, my life easier. <laughs> um,
2: I, I saw a video that you posted yesterday, but uh, Shannon also sent it to me where, and I think this often happens, that you, you get to the end of the year and you're going through your goals and like it says, uh, generate $100,000 by the end of the year. And you just scratch out that last zero because you didn't quite get there, but you got to ten thousand, <laughs> so you you mark it off. You know, yes. and like as you go through, you they like I didn't quite get there, but I got close to it. You like you mark it off because there's something about marking or, or achieving goals that really gives us that kind of yes. hit. You know, and we really want to do it. Um, yeah. So accretion, which John mentioned, is that's the idea of compounding. You know,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, the idea that over time our small habits, uh, our small actions and our decisions all accumulate and, and give us what we have. Mm. And it's just this irrefutable law of nature. You know, it exists. And I've, I've come to surrender myself to it because it's not going anywhere. Mm. This process is always in the background. It's mm. always doing what it's supposed to do, which is accumulate what you feed into it and give it back to you over time. And so we really have to be very mindful of the fact that this law of accumulation it, it, hasn't, it has no bias, you know, it doesn't care what you feed into it. Yeah. All it's looking for is what are you doing today? Which decisions are you making today? And six months and a year and two years and three years from now, it's just going to feed back to you what you did today accumulated.
0: Totally. So I read that uh, a book James Clear's Atomic Habits. And it's super resonated with me because of this problem that I face. Like I set these goals, but actually the steps, the perfect steps to the goals are not, you can't create them. Uh, And then that sort of puts you off, you know. Uh, So how do you get there? And you got to turn it into this kind of something that you can just cut a deeper and deeper and deeper groove into. Just a pattern that you can repeat. But if you're repeating the wrong one, Mm. you cut a groove in a completely different direction, which is fascinating, the difference between healthy and unhealthy habits. And I think that's the thing that kind of, for me, really changed. It it relieved me a little of that pressure to achieve every day. I feel a different sense of achievement if I've done those healthy habits that day and then the next day and then the next day. And the world can just
1: come and go as it pleases. Mm. Look, I, I saw something yesterday It said, we need you at a hundred percent for work. <laughs> and the guy said, nothing in nature runs at a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, Nothing. Yeah,
1: And we've put this unfair expectation on ourselves yeah. based on the economies of scale and efficiency model that we've been trained into through school and organizations. And I'd even go as far as religion, making it like you have to, you have to, if you don't, you're going to hell. If you don't, you're not making profits. If you don't, So we've built this unbelievable pressure of 100% on ourselves every day, especially men. Yes. And it's actually rubbish because nothing runs at 100% ever. And what we have to do is be symbiotic in our process. And in that symbiosis, creativity is more alive, our bodies are more healthy, we're more patient, we're less anxious. And so the construct of how we've developed the idea of what we need to be doing is actually a broken system.
2: Mm. Um, What I'll add to that is, in the early 1900s, you have a race for the South Pole and I'm trying to remember the details, but you have an English team and you have a Norwegian team. And so the way they approach reaching the South Pole is, is vastly different across like all the strategies they apply. But the biggest difference is that the British team goes, um, every day we are going to go as hard and as long as possible. We're going to get up and we're just going to like smash for as long as we can. Mm. And the Norwegian team goes we are doing 15 miles a day, no more, no less. And so like you fast forward a bit, um, one team reaches the South Pole 34 days before the other. And of course, the team that reaches it first and the team that is most healthy, that is still most productive is the Norwegian team. Mm. The English team makes it to the South Pole, but they are frayed and they never make it back. And so this idea of 15 miles, no more, no less is, well, yes, like we don't have to push as hard all the time. It's just about the consistency of doing it every day. But at the same time, we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that 15 miles, no more, no less means that it's comfortable. Because I think that's, it's, it's something that often worries me is that we talk about these daily habits. But if your daily habits are just average, like they might they might be yes. good, but they're average. Yes. They, they might not get you where you want to go. Yes. And so 15 miles, no more, no less the way they decided on that was still like, okay, it's it's out of our comfort zone. It's not extreme, but yes. it's still pushing us a little bit every day. Yes. And so we have to make sure that when we put those habits and routines and systems in place, yes, that they come from a place of intention, knowing that, okay, I'm gonna have to work to get there. It's not gonna burn me out, but it's also not gonna be like just easy. And therefore, like what I get at the end of the day is just nothing special.
0: Yes. Perfect friction. So I'm, uh, it's a bit of a strange habit, which I don't tell too many people about, but um, I'd like to try and draw links between stuff that's going on in nature and like, and our own psychological lives. It's quite a lot of it. So for instance, one of the links I try and draw is, so sometimes you'll try and try and try and try and do something for ages and you're not achieving anything. And then suddenly, boof, all your achievements come at once. That feels to me like there's a concept in science called a spontaneous phase transition. You've just done all the prep and the conditions change and everything falls into place. Another thing, like I, it was a TED Talk that I was listening to, one of these TED Talks, um, a TED Radio Hour pod, actually. And this person is an expert in friction, but they're actually now trying to, they're talking about friction in a psychological sense as well. And it's amazing what an important force friction is. In Engineering, but I think about it in psychologically as well, it's an incredibly important force. So, if something's too easy to do, and I'm completely in this trap like, if I've got too many resources and too much time, I don't get anything done. Eh? Uh, it's just life's too easy, it's, it's too, too easy to enjoy, etc. I need problems, I need something that forces me to be a little bit more focused and resilient but you can have too much of that friction and then you fail you, know, mm. you don't quite get there so it's just adding that that perfect amount of friction um but we've been talking I'm interested to double click on this because I, I don't know if you've listened to Lex Friedman's most recent uh, pod he's he's interviewing Walter Isaacson um about um, Elon Musk yeah mm. and I uh, Walter's an amazing guy if you uh, I, I I felt like I've transported my life myself into the lives of the people he writes biographies about. Um, Albert Einstein was a fascinating one, Steve Jobs as well. But most of them are good and I try and read them all. He's just written one by Elon Musk. And he got, uh, in his by his own admission, um, more time with Elon, more open, free time to observe him than he has with anybody, any of the others that he's got. So he thinks it's kind of like his... His most pure one, I guess. He doesn't actually say that, but it kind of comes across that way. Elon is like he doesn't stop to appreciate anything. He mentions Elon's biggest failing is that he is com- perpetually Addicted. dissatisfied. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He actually doesn't savor any moment. Mm. It's incredible what that guy's achieved and he never savers a moment. Mm. And when I heard that, I just felt... Sorry for him. That really sucks. Uh, I'd rather him he have moments to savor than us all have electric cars, to be honest. Um, but that's just the way I –
1: that's probably a strange thing to say. but Look, yeah. I think a lot of success or what we think of as success comes from a place of trauma. Mm. And a lot of things that a lot of the greats have done out there come from a big place of pain. And he comes from a place of pain, you know. He's spoken a lot about the fact that he was bullied heavily at school and just never got any of that right. And so he's stuck in that perpetual moment of, I need to do more. I'm not good enough and I need to get to it. And I think, you know, that he's he's, he's applying it to uplift the world in in a very positive way. And I'm appreciative of that. But I think many people suffer from that. And he's just doing something exceptional with it. Mm. but i think people that are just normal receptionists are suffering from that as well mm. and it's just in the small daily habits they're not getting it but all of this comes down to a addiction to a high beta brainwave and what most of society is is addicted to a high beta brainwave and a Explain high beta what, what is it yeah so you get five brainwaves you have gamma beta alpha theta and delta the ones you're awaken are beta and alpha Beta itself, you can have a low beta, which is when you're on stage and you're about to perform and you're excited, but you're not on edge. You're just excited to be there, but you're totally focused. A high beta, which is what most people are in most of the time, is that I'm in danger. I'm running away from something. Okay. And that shows up as anxiousness, it shows up as restlessness, at obsessiveness, at OCD, not sleeping well, never having your list to do list done not having the energy to engage in anything new, Mm. being highly triggered most of your time. Mm. Why? Because your brain has somehow been told that I'm running away and I'm in danger, which means I'm full of adrenaline and I'm constantly looking for any danger that's out there.
0: Mm.
1: Now, this was very, very useful when we were in caves, but somehow our brains haven't evolved and we are still stuck on this pattern. So think about school. School was never about learning, it was about passing. And if you ask kids, what did you learn today or did you pass? That the pass is what really is all the pressure is about. Mm. And then you went to university and university wasn't really about learning. It was like, did you get your degree? Mm. Oh, no, no okay, okay, I got my degree. How you got your degree was almost like secondary to, did you get your degree? Mm. Then you go to the corporate world and it's all about culture and rah, 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 but it's actually about money. And if you haven't achieved your targets, then what are you doing here? Mm. And so all of it is based on an outcome. And if it's always based on an outcome, it's a high beta brainwave. Mm. And what we have to start doing is moving ourselves into an alpha brainwave, which is the resonance of nature and of Mother Earth. And in an alpha brainwave, what you have is you have access to a very different type of creativity with no danger around. And if you think about it, when you're forcing yourself to be creative under duress, under pressure, Mm -hmm. under it's impossible. You you think hard work and stress is creativity. It's not. Creativity is lateral thinking where you need a calm heart and a clear mind. That only comes through a brainwave of alpha, Now you have to ask yourself, how do I get myself into an alpha state as often as possible throughout the day? Because we trigger back into beta because we're in survival mode and our brain has been so used to that. We think that that is actually normal. And that's where you're under threat. And so what happens is just opening up an email makes you nervous. Answering a phone makes you nervous. Anytime somebody calls makes you nervous. And what that means is that you are in alert state. Mm. So what takes you from beta to alpha? Meditation. What takes you from beta to alpha? Trauma healing. What takes you from beta to alpha? Psychedelics. All of these things, what they're doing is they're rewiring the very hardware that you're using to think with. Yes. And so the world at large is not creative. The world at large is not lateral in the way they think. And science is proving to us that we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day, of which 90% are the same thoughts as yesterday. (laughs) And what that says to us, I mean, it's sad. But what it says to us is your brain doesn't have time for new thoughts when it's in survival mode. Yes. And if you look at a brain scan of somebody who's a heavy meditator and is on psychedelics, it's exactly the same brain. And what the brain is doing underneath those two modalities,
0: Mm.
1: it's relaxed. Mm. And in that state of relaxation, you can start to access creativity. Mm. Yeah, totally.
0: I mean, I'm only ever creative when I'm in a relaxed everybody
1: stage. you know like the whole yeah. world like everybody is but you don't realize that yes. and people don't even know if they've ever tapped into alpha and the way I explain it to them is day 5 of your holiday you start slowly moving into alpha day 7 you're a totally different person the person who went on holiday and the person coming back home are night and day yes. and the reason they are night and day is that the brainwaves are different because yes. your personality is determined by your brainwave if you're highly triggered and highly anxious, you have a very specific personality. And if you're calm and relaxed and creative, you've got a very different personality. And that's why we meditators And that's why we do psychedelic. And that's, that, these are the, all the reasons why, because you want to change the brainwave to become calm, relaxed, and clear in your mind. What led you into becoming a meditator, Eric? It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Sitting right here. You'd
2: <laughs> he, like to take... Uh- uh the responsibility or the uh Credits. Credits. That's the word I'm looking for. Credit for uh, all my success really. No, not no, all, not all. <laughs> just the meditation
1: part, your marriage, yeah. your Porsche, um, your speaking career. No, just
2: kidding. Uh sure. 2012 I was on a mission to figure out self-development. Okay. And uh a friend and I kind of started down that path at the same time. And we went full tilt into what it means to do personal development. And of course, like when you get into it, what it means is that you have a morning routine. We wake up at five o'clock and then you sit down to meditate and then you read and then you like drink a glass of water and then you go for training and then you get go do a sauna. Like it's like this, you know, full, full tilt into every personal development cliche that there possibly is. And we did that for, for a while and... I I never really thought that I found the benefits of meditation. Mm. Uh, Back then it was guided meditations on YouTube or it was just listening to music and trying to quiet my mind. Mm. Uh, Because that's also like when you just get into meditation, that's sort of what you're told is you need to think about nothing. Mm. You need to clear your mind. And then you have all these thoughts that pop up all the time and you get so frustrated and you go, well, I'm too busy, like my mind is too busy, I, I can't meditate. And then fast forward a little bit, I was introduced to Joe Dispenza's stuff. Um, it was actually before I met you, but that's then, but kidding. then of course, but then of course, um, you you went uh, Full very tilt. deep, yeah, <laughs> very deep down that rabbit hole. I did, I did. Um, and so when I was introduced to Joe Dispenza's meditations, there's just something very different about it, you know. And for the first time, I sat down and felt that there was something that came out of it, because that's the the challenge with meditation is people want to see what it does for them. Otherwise, I don't believe. You know, I can hear, I can listen to everyone mm. who meditates and, and they can tell me what it does for them and what it means to them. But if I can't experience it, I'm not going to sit down and do it because it is a hard thing to sit your ass down for 30 minutes mm. and meditate. Mm. I was listening to Steve Bartlett yesterday on, on Diary of a CEO and he was saying the same thing. They were talking about, he uh, was actually on, on Rich Roll's podcast. And they were talking about all the different things that he does in his life. And he said, the one thing I'm not doing is meditation. And the reason is that I've had the explanation, but I haven't had the experience mm. of what meditation does for me. Mm. Uh, but when I started doing these Joe Dispenza meditations, there was a clear shift for me from when I sat down to when I stood up. Mm. And more importantly, I started feeling it on the days that I wasn't meditating. Mm. I was like something is missing in my day here Yes. and so over time you know my my longest meditation that I would do would be about 45 minutes Mm. um, and those I would only do occasionally but like every single morning I sit down in the morning I do 30 minutes of meditation and it just sets the tone for the day it just gets me into the right mind state and I can't go without it anymore so that's been my journey
0: yeah I've had a journey with meditation myself. I started... I kind of sort of fell into it by accident. I was dating someone who was a yogi and uh, she went on a meditation course, uh, Vipassana. Have you heard of Vipassana? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I followed and I went on one of those 10-day intense... Well done. <laughs> ...retreats. Yeah, it was hard. Um, but I uh, in the retreat, it was amazing. Like it clicked. I, I, it was very difficult, but I knew straight away that I have to keep doing this. And funnily enough, I thought... Uh, I realized right there and then that if I didn't, I was not going to be okay in my life. Like I was probably headed down bad routes psychologically, um, my habits, etc. cetera. And they all come from latching onto the wrong thought patterns. Um, it's really what I got out of it. But so, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about with the podcasting earlier. It took me like three or four years before I actually saw a complete natural behavior change as a result of the meditation. I felt good in the meditation. That was the thing that kept me going. But I mean, I would come out of that meditation, go into a meeting, feeling as calm as all hell. Something goes wrong and I react exactly as before. Snappy or whatever the case may be. Just, you know, not who I wanted to be. Um, And for a long time, I didn't think it was working and there was very little evidence that it was changing. Um, So it really is like one of those things, anything worth doing is hard work and takes a while to get results. But sure, it does take a long time for it to, well, for me anyway, for it to
1: bleed into my life. Well, remember, I mean, your personality has taken 40 years to build. Yeah, I guess that's what true. You, what are you going to do a couple <laughs> sit-downs and now your personality <laughs> changes? <laughs> you know, these things take time. But that's what time. people want, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's that's what gets them to stop doing it as well because there's an unfair yeah. expectation of what their brains are going to do. Mm. I mean, even Dr. Joe Dispenza at his retreats, he often says that, Halfway through a Zoom, I'm like, I've got to leave the Zoom and go meditate because I've lost my centeredness. Mm. And so, at every level, as being a human being, you're going to lose your centeredness. The mm. awareness that you've lost your centeredness mm. is the win. Mm. That's the victory. Mm. And before you were unaware, your your snappiness was normal. Now you're like, oh shit, I'm snappy again. Yeah. That awareness is the victory. Yeah. Because your brain is going, hang on a second, I don't want to be doing that anymore. Yes. And so it's a it's a process of unwinding and recalibrating your personality yes. structure. Yes. And that takes time. Mm. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time.
2: The, the meditation is also just one tool, you know, in the arsenal of behavior change because we were actually we were recording a pod yesterday about this, that behavior change is extremely, extremely difficult.
0: Yeah.
2: And it seems like it should be such an obvious thing because we know what we are doing. We know what we would like to be doing. But to bridge that gap is is a big, big challenge. And one thing that I've really appreciated about uh, Joda Spencer's meditations is that even though it's esoteric in many ways, mm. there's also a lot of practicality to it. Mm. And the practicality of it is that you sit down, you think about those interactions that you're going to have today, um, and you decide who you don't want to be. Mm. Okay. And that's so important is that if you are trying to change a behavior, you almost want to anticipate what's going to happen in my day and what is going to be my default response. Mm. Because the awareness is fine, but the problem is that you're only then trying to fix it after the fact. Yes. What you want to do is Control to raise moments, your awareness yeah. now of what's going to happen later today. Yes. I know that later today I'm going to go into a meeting. I know that when I'm in these meetings, I'm likely to be snappy what would i rather be? I'd rather just be patient and listen. Oh, here's the trigger. This has just happened. Instead of snapping, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to listen. Okay. So I was writing an email the other day and I said, the, you know, if you want to be intentional, um, the best way to be intentional in the moment is to be intentional ahead of the moment. And that's ultimately what you need to do. It's like, you you can't just always be, oh, I was aware of it and I'll fix it next time. It's like, try to cultivate the awareness that happens like awareness of the trigger before it turns into the behavior.
1: Eric, I think one thing you're missing there is the actual structure of a Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation is very different to other ones where he takes you into a state of stillness, of nothingness. And from that state of nothingness, or as he calls it being nobody, nowhere, no time with no memory, from that state of nothingness, you start to rehearse the life you want. And in that process of rehearsal, and this is what makes these meditations so unique, is that most other meditations take you to becoming nobody, nowhere, no time. And that's great because that's important because your new brain relaxes. But what he then does is the next step, which is the rehearsal of your future self. Okay. And so you walk into neurons that have wired and fired together already. You yes. walk into that scenario and you've rehearsed the scenario. Yes. Which means your brain now is subconsciously looking for that scenario. Mm. So which is create what creates a new neural pathway. Exactly. Yeah, but he's okay. doing that creating a neural pathway in a state of stillness Mm. which is actually the only place you can create a new neural pathway because Mm. otherwise your personality structure is too strong okay it doesn't want to let go of it but unless you're in that state of stillness it doesn't really happen and so you repeat that enough
0: and then when you're in the actual scenario for real it triggers because you've
1: you've visualized it is it a visualization visualize practice body everything embodying it and then you trigger the new habits. In fact, sometimes, you know what happens is it arrives and he always says, the unexpected has never let me down. Okay. And the unknown has never let me down. And what happens is that it arrives and you don't even realize that it's arrived. And then a little bit later, you're like, oh my God, it happened and I reacted in that way. It wasn't even something I did consciously, it just happened. And you know, Eric knows this from me, is that my income for speaking has been something I've been doing this with. And my income has shot up in a way that we couldn't have never dreamt of, but I've been rehearsing it. It's yes. actually not by mistake. It's by okay. design. Yes. But which client was going to sign me and who's going to pay me and what? If, I didn't know that. That yes. like specificity wasn't important to me. Yes, The specificity was, am I value myself enough to earn that? Can I rehearse myself earning that and leave the rest up mm. to what reality wants to do for me? Mm. You guys are
0: working with leaders uh, in all sorts of different capacities. I'm quite interested to, I mean, there's a weird thing that happens in the world of work um, where if you're good at something, like a skill, and you've got a sort of a dominant personality, you get promoted, but you actually don't know how to manage people. Uh, So there's this massive gap with how to get the most out of others. Like, I guess... Collaborative performance is something that I think about all the time in organizations, but and, and trying to get there in various ways. But most of it comes from a sort of a self improvement. But something I am noticing, and I'm keen to just test the market and see if it's happening elsewhere, is that there's kind of there's a generation that's coming through that's younger than me significantly, <laughs> uh, but they are intolerant of these old types of management and they are so much more human they want to be cared for first and care for others first and I think it's it's quite
1: beautiful actually and yeah go for it two things you don't want to be in your granddad's world think about how your granddad used to work you don't you don't Think about being in one job for the rest of your life to get a white picket fence at 65 and retirement. That's not your world anymore. Mm. And the way men used to do X and women used to do Y, just a generation ago, we don't fit into, from our generation. Mm. And so this younger generation here is now coming in wired differently. Again, Mm. doing exactly what we did with our grandparents. Mm. And so every generation always thinks that the way we've done things is really what's right Anybody before us was a bit old and fuddy-duddy. Anybody knew is just far too out there. Come back, come back, come back. Come back. You just do it like we do it. Mm. And what you're saying here is really important because I think we are moving into a state of more humanness. And the humanness for me is a, the great analogy, the, the, not the great, the, the analogy I use is in agricultural era, physicality was our most important thing. In the industrial era, our brains and logic were the most important thing. And in the quantum era, our hearts are the most important thing. Mm. And what is heart? It's human. Mm. And so these new people coming into this world Mm. are very much about heart, human, Mm. and we are still stuck in logic, analytics, and outcomes. Mm. And so we have this disparity and we call them lazy, creative. Actually, what we're doing is shining a mirror on how old we are. Yes. And I often ask my audiences, who here has children? And they're like, yeah, put their hands up. I say, how many of your children want to be influencers? And they all scoff at the idea that their kids are becoming influencers or want to become influencers because they're like, oh, what an idiot. Yes. But the truth is, is your kid just wants to be unique. Yes. And they don't want to fit into the box that you're not happy with. Yeah. That's the truth. You fit it into a box and now you're unhappy that you fit into the box, but you want your kid to do the same because it's familiar. Yeah. And we have to let go of that familiarity, and that comes from an alpha brainwave In yeah. a practice of malleability of your brain to engage with your kids. And what I suggest all the my, my audience is become an influencer with your kid because that's where the world's going. It's not going to more offices. It's not going to more mm. IQ. It's going much more to the to that side of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean,
0: sharing each other's journey, being vulnerable, etc. Online. I mean, there's some sort of, um, I guess, thin or insubstantial. How do you? Uh, Maybe inauthentic
1: elements to it. And I think that that's the... That's okay. It is There's okay. lots of inauthenticity in corporates. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there total authenticity in universities and corporates? No. No. That's the human factor. Yeah. And so we can't take the human factor out of it. But a lot of people will come up with that excuse. Oh, no, it's so inauthentic. I don't want to be part of that. The Kardashians. But that's one influencer. Like, what about all the people that are uplifting? What? Are, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he's an influencer. Yeah. He's changing people's lives. Why don't we fit mm. into that category? And so, for me, the future lies and relies on us accessing our genius and sharing it with the world. Whereas before, schooling never, ever prized you for accessing your genius. If you were accessing your genius at school, you were called naughty and a rebel. Yes. Because you weren't following the system. And now the system is crumbling around us. Think about it education doesn't guarantee you anything anymore. Neither does a job, neither does religion, neither does marriage, neither does your gender. Mm -hmm. Nothing guarantees you anything. And as a society, we've been so addicted to outcomes that we've stuck to our knitting just to possibly get that outcome that we're so desiring. Mm. And this new generation doesn't give a shit for our outcomes. Mm. Thank God. Because even our outcomes are rubbish. No, totally. I mean, they're probably,
0: they're, they're, their cohesion and connectiveness is probably going to be the thing that saves the world. you know. So. <laughs>
2: and our lack
1: of it is what we need to actually let go of. you know.
2: Yeah. Mm. There's also been, a, I think, a recalibration for them with their relationship with work. Um, which has been something interesting that I've seen recently. So something like I've been on the bandwagon with for ages is that we call our teams our families, you know, and I've always, it's always grinded me that we do that. Mm. And I remember previously making videos about that a few years ago and I would get quite a bit of sort of hate for it. You know, it's like, well, what kind of family did you grow up in? Like, it's great to be in a family, you know, so like, people were quite pro this idea that at work, the people at work are referred to as our family. Whereas recently when I've made videos about that, the sentiment's very different. It's that people almost see it as emotional abuse or manipulation, that I'm coming to work to do a thing and then I want to leave. And it's very much in line with other things we've seen like quiet quitting, for example, you know, that they, they want to have a clear distinction between work and, and home. And so there's, I think there's a recalibration of what work means for the younger generation, but also mm. just post-COVID. I think in general, people have- um, Reprioritized. re-prioritized yeah. yeah, what they, or how they want to show up and, and what's important to them.
1: Yeah, thank goodness. Because mm. what was important to us before is really irrelevant. Actually, yeah. if you think about it, the goals were ridiculous. They were like useless goals. Like yes. you need the promotion, you need to get to the, yes. and then you end up 65 and you've got cancer and, and then what? what's the point? Mm. Yeah. You've That's, abused yourself, you're mm. traumatized, you haven't I, dealt with yeah. any real thing.
2: And we live in a world where opportunity is abundant. Yeah. Like you can, today, you can really follow your curiosity to the nth degree. Yes. Like whatever you care about, there is an audience for it on the on, on the internet. Uh, it's going to be this obscure little niche somewhere. Yes. But it'll make you money. Are you talking you about your can, fetish? Well, no, you can go sell your feet on Feet Finder. <laughs> I, have, I mean, I have, I have Why you? do you think you are? Yeah. I sneaking on the side. <laughs> I speak on the side.
1: My feet are... my a place uh, called is
2: Feet Finder? It's a place called Feet Finder yeah. um, where you can go and post pictures and, and people buy your...
1: Eric, eric, you'll, you'll, K, you'll,
2: you'll, eric K. Yeah, com. That's yeah, er, eric K.com. Yeah. <laughs>
0: there goes my afternoon. Eh? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but, you know, I've seen the most ridiculous mm. niches, you know, and people make a lot of money from it. Yeah. Um, the guy on TikTok, all he does is talk about gardening, you know, and, like, he just walks around in his garden. Like, he's not a, a big, yes. well-known. He just started talking about gardening stuff and he's making a living from just doing that. Have you seen this NPC trend? No. So, an NPC is a non-playable character in okay. a video game. So whenever you play a video game, you're obviously the, the hero of the of the video game, and then around you, there are players that you can't interact with. They just exist in the in the world. Mm. But they always do the same actions on repeat, you know So like they'll always be standing there and they'll be doing like things like this with their hands. but they just do this on loop. And so on TikTok, there's a trend where you are an NPC, so like they go on camera. And they just stand there as like this non-playable character and people just give them money for it. And every time they give them money, they do like an, a reaction to it. And then they go back to their like typical stance. Yeah. And then just over and over and over. And people are making millions of dollars being non-playable characters. And you, I mean, you can find whatever you want to do and just make money with it online.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love it. Uh, it, it's, it this whole chatting about, I wasn't planning on taking this podcast in this direction, but I love working with younger people that are more just insistent on following their curiosity in any space and bring in, feeling
1: free to bring it into the workspace. Dude, they're so free, they don't want to fit into genders. Yeah. Like, think about that. <laughs> I don't want to be a guy. Stop telling me I'm a man. Yeah. Like, what? Um, like, that is, like, hurts your head. How do really? I speak to you? <laughs> yeah, but that's not the point. The point is I don't want to fit into any of your structures. Yeah. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in work. I don't believe in genders. I don't believe... It's like right across the board. What? Well, you know what it is for me? The highest sense of freedom. Yes. What an amazing sense of freedom. It is. But as someone that leads an organization, I kind
0: of like, I have to think, I have to respect that because if I don't, it just disappears on me anyway. So I've got to learn to respect it because I want them to stay and to be cohesive. But I also have to (laughs) achieve stuff um, with the business. So the recent thing I've done is I've got everyone to do this character thing online. And it gives you your character, your most essential character traits. So I am curious, creative, a love of learning. There are a couple of others as well, which I (laughs) forgot my own character. Um, And so I got everyone to do this, everyone that works closely with me on my team. And I said to them, subtly, listen, I don't know. I can't recraft your role. But when it comes to new stuff that comes, we're just going to talk about who – if there's something to research – the people that have level of learning in their top five do you want to take it have you got the capacity just do that and just that simple thing like it's not it's just now a flat hierarchy as far as that's concerned it doesn't matter who's the boss so he gets to research or it's based on son. your character yeah it's just mm. based on your character
1: yeah you very smart uh,
0: and it's it's such a like uh, I mean I maybe do something that intervention maybe happens like once every two weeks mm. right when there's some, where I can make a connection between that person's character and mm. And some new piece of work or something. But what it's done, I mean, I don't even know. I should check with the team. But it does feel as if people are just, they've got something. Well,
1: they're allowing them to be in their genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like celebrating what they're really good at. I have a a very good, one of my closest friends, he's uh, on the Enneagram, he is a a skeptic loyal, a loyal skeptic. Okay. And you know, for the longest time, he's the biggest skeptic of everything. And he used to bother me you know, and I've done lots of businesses with him and he was always the guy who was like, what about this or what about that what about, and when I realized that he's a loyal skeptic, Mm -hmm. I now celebrate his skepticism. I'm like, oh, this is who he is, how he's programmed. Okay, he's bringing in a safety marker for me. Yes. And understanding that and the trigger points and the geniuses just like allows people to be who they are and it also allows you to be who you are, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think if you can get it right, it's good. Um, I work with many teams where they go through all sorts of personality profiling and it mm-hmm. feels very good in the moment because we're doing something and we're getting to know each other and you know we're going to give you work based on on what's important to you but over time that just fades
0: mm.
2: and but it feels like cool in the moment and also like the bigger your team becomes the the more difficult it becomes you know at some point there was this big push that whenever you join a team you should have your own operating system written down and what this operating system is, is um, what are your preferences? How do you like to be communicated to? Uh, you know, what's important to you? All those kind of things. And I'm like, who's going to sit down and read everyone's like preference sheets every time they have to interact with them? Like yeah. it becomes impossible over time. And so doing all this personality profiling, I think is cool if you can actually make it work in the long run. But, and not to say like, I'm glad that you guys did it and that you were intentional enough with it, but. I think just very often uh we do it and fades into the background because Yeah. We get reactive, we get busy again. And so all that stuff just kinda. I think if you keep with one of
1: them, like one of the characters and maybe on their name tag, just have one that highlights them, maybe change that. Because with me, I mean look, he's not part of my team, he's my friend. But it's really changed my Yes. When he starts questioning, I'm like, ah I'm like so relaxed by it. I'm not frustrated by it mm. anymore, you know?
2: I think there's yeah. value in it. Don't yes, get me wrong. Yes, yeah. I think there's value in it. Yeah. But I think that yeah. As with most things, yes. once you get back into business yes, and yes. people are being reactive and it's busy mm. and there are fires burning and people need my attention and work that must be done, mm. all that just goes whew. At the window,
1: you did do this on the pod yesterday. You ended us on a low. Remember? Uh, well, well, are we working oh, towards joking. the end? Yeah?
2: <laughs> don't worry. The, uh, the realist and the optimist. No, yeah,
1: exactly, yeah, exactly. Are you a
2: loyal skeptic by any chance, Eric? I am the eternal ruler. You'll remember <laughs> yeah, of that from. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, John thank you. Your name, that's
0: right. I, I'm I'm the lemon, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, I think that. Y- you know those things should probably just be stepping stones to forming good relationships mm. Um, mm. I mean, like once you I mean if you're having to be intentional all the time about thinking about a person's character Not too, then much, then too much you, mm. you, you just it's unsustainable but if it's if it's a way of just forging a good it's a forced marriage you know when you're working with someone yeah if you can if you can somehow find a good relationship with them. Guys, it's been awesome to chat to you but I just want to ping you both for something. I flipping love this country. I could be anywhere in the world. Well, a lot of places doing similar stuff to what I'm doing. I went to the UK for a while, but I chose to come back. Um, this place has shaped me in a unique way. And I feel quite emotional about being in South Africa, doing stuff here, building stuff here, and making it a better place. Um, so I want to ask you, what do you love about the country? What do you think is bankable about it? Um, what inspires you about SA?
2: I thought we were going to end up on a, on a high note here today. No, <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, th- I think, I
1: think uh, South Africa is healing from its past. Yes. And it's going to take a while. And we have to allow that healing to take whatever shape and form it, it needs. And I think as a privileged few for us to determine or ascertain how long the healing should take is a very short-sighted, privileged viewpoint. So Mm -hmm. first and foremost, the healing needs to happen for everybody on every level. And that takes a while. Mm. And when a healing is taking shape, it's not always running smoothly because there's still stuff that and pain that hasn't been processed. Mm. I think also what we have to realize is that the ANC was incredibly important as game changers of the apartheid regime. And it was necessary that guerrilla warfare because that's how it needed to be managed. Mm. But we unfortunately still have the game changers in power. And yes. game changers are never good managers. Never, and never have been. And so we're reeling from still holding power with people that were game changers that were necessary, but still in power. Yes. And this is going to take time. You know, it's just, a, it's a time game. And I think the most important thing we can do is be patient and add value where we can add value and mm. focus on the right things and not get caught up in the conversations that are demeaning for the for the country. You know, I was in America recently and I was sitting in a park just by myself, just sitting in a park and it was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, there was an orchestra forming. And I didn't know that. I mean, I was just walking. It was, it, was, it was Michigan. So I was walking around and the orchestra starts forming. And all of a sudden, more and more people are starting to arrive. Apparently, there's this orchestra happens every Sunday. I didn't know this but everybody starts arriving and I'm talking about like wealthy people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an expensive part of Detroit and people start arriving, fancy cars. Everybody starts picnicking and they're all putting their blankets down. And before the orchestra starts, the guy starts up and he says, okay, before we start, my name's this, I'm the orchestra, but we're going to start off with the anthem. Every single person stood up and put their hand on their heart. Mm. Every, I mean, mm. I filmed it. I was like, what is going on here? Mm. All my American friends are like, this is normal. And the sense of pride, don't worry about what America is, what it stands for, we can say we can get involved with that, but the sense of pride they have about their country yes. is unbelievable. Yes, And I think that what we're missing in this country is a lack of pride yes. because we have some false sense that healing must happen quicker, that the governments are useless, that this is useless, that useless. Yes. And I think that's what's killing us. But we also have to take into account that most of the world's in trouble. Like which country is not in trouble, like the Europe's in trouble, America's in trouble. Mm. The places that are booming are Saudi, Middle East, like Dubai or India, these places are booming, but there's a change of God. This, the, 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 the the empires of the world are shifting right in front of us. Yes, And so there's a lot of good about South Africa, but I think the thing we have to think about a lot is, it's gonna take time, yes. we need patience, and yes. we need to start cultivating a new sense of pride for our country. Yeah? Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll just echo everything that you've said. I think SA is is incredible with incompetent leadership. And so that makes it a very frustrating place to be. Yeah. Um, and it's always frustrating when you can see incredible potential that's being hamstrung yes. by a select few. Mm. And at the same time, I actually, I thought about this a while ago and you just kind of brought this up for me again, is that I've never been to America, but one thing that you know about America even when you exist outside of it is that there's this thing called the American dream. Right? This ideal to aspire to. Yes. And I've always thought that we are lacking that. We don't have Eze. an essay dream. We Except don't have, for the yeah, that's like, it. Like what is the that's dream? It. It's the box, yeah. You know, like if you if you grow up as a young man here or or young woman, like what do you aspire to? What is the thing that like Yes. You know, we have no vision. To, yeah, yeah, we're what, no vision. Yeah, what is that? And and if that's missing,
1: you know, where well, do you go? I remember Cyril speaking to all of us. You remember the uncle was speaking. Was it yeah. the, we call them the uncle Monday yeah. night chats? And during in COVID, COVID. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, the biggest mistake is that he stopped that. Mm. Yes, you yes. Know, you know, we need in times of crisis over communication. Yes, and we don't have any voices that we can tap into. Mm. And when we left to our own devices, we become dramatic. Yeah. Mm. And so it's a tough place, you know. I don't know if there's an answer for that, you know. But do you but
2: do you remember when he was elected? Yeah. He he had that saying, I think it was Tuma Mina. Yeah. Remember that? No. You don't remember. But
1: to go on, explain
2: it When me. he well, I can't remember exactly what it meant. Uh, but he had this he had this this rallying call to call, action. Cry, yeah. You know? And that was all you heard. And like during that speech, it was all you heard. Mm. And then that also just went away. Yeah. You know, and the thing is without vision, where do you go?
1: Yeah, we, and we don't have anybody leading us. But again, look, incompetent leadership. Think yeah. about America. No, for sure. We're Ninety-five yeah. year old in the shade, the Senate. They know nothing <laughs> yes. about nothing
2: about the future. Joe so, Biden uh, TikToks are some of my favorites. Yeah, exactly. But yeah.
1: I think incompetent leadership is a global issue. It is. It's yeah. not a South African issue. Mm. Unfortunately, Africa and South America have a exceptionally bad leadership style. Mm. Mm. You know, Europe's still some level of accountability. Mm. America's um, it, it has legalized their corporate, it's yeah. legalized bribing. That's what yes, it is. Yes. It's called lobbying. I mean, yeah. what a crook of rubbish, <laughs> you know? So it, it, I don't think it's a South African problem. Yeah. I think it's a global problem. Yeah, We're just sitting with a healing of the past that we still have to deal with. Mm. And also an economic situation that America and Europe are eroding many currencies around the world. Think about Argentina and think about Venezuela and think about... All these currencies are taking strain, Mm. and it's not just South Africa, it's others, but because Mm. we own our own bubble, we're like, oh, the RAND's gone nowhere, and Mm. oh, our leaders are so bad, but go travel a bit. Mm. This is an ongoing process in many countries in the world, you know? Yeah, for sure. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think for – I love what both of you have said, and I think you're echoing many sentiments, but particularly, John, what you said about um, allowing time for the healing to happen. Uh, I think it's such a poignant point. And those of us that come from uh, the side of the fence that was… Uh, privileged. Privileged. And it's not kid that we were, yeah. Yeah, that's… Uh, I had a chat with someone. I'm not going to mention her name, but it's a black South African mm-hmm. around about my age. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has experienced things from the other side. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> and shit, I realized as a result of that conversation how naive I am naive about the healing and the pain that there is and how, how generationally entrenched mm. it is. And it's, mm. it is weakening and there is healing mm. to be had, but I realized I have a lot to do as well. I have to show up. I have to not be frightened of having my head bitten off mm.
1: and I have to give a space for people to be Look, angry. You, you want to talk about being emotional. This makes me emotional. It's yeah. because that rampant... Disgusting behavior of our times and apar- it apartheid. Disgusting. We mm. dehumanized humans. Mm. And you know, slavery became so normal that the slaves thought it was normal. Mm. And we're talking 200, 300 years ago. Mm. And apartheid mm. diminished humanness and they believed it themselves mm. in that process. And what I see in Dubai is this very clear caste system that has bled over from India mm. where you get the Bangladeshi people that don't think they're good enough and you're equal. They just, that's their programming. And it's the weirdest thing when I have to tell a Bangladeshi, my name's not Sir, it's John. They mm. can't do it. They can't actually come. It's a self-entrenched, uh, dehumanized process that they've gone through. And yes. so we've got to allow South Africans to go through this, especially yeah. the ones that have been done that. And as, as white um, privileged people, we are not doing ourselves any favors by getting onto a high horse and saying, well, hurry up already. You should actually hurry <laughs> up I actually think we need to do more. I think Much we, need more. To
0: be, we need to create opportunities for these connections to happen and, and and yeah and for these painful conversations to to happen. I
1: think we have a responsibility. If um, you're gonna live in this country mm. and you're a South African abroad, your responsibility is to highlight this. Mm. You know, for you to go to Australia and go to England and then talk shit about South Africa, you mm. are the problem. Yes. You are the problem. You didn't have any energetic upliftment for the country. So what are you complaining about it? There was a great line the other day. It said, if you're sitting in the traffic, you're complaining about the traffic. Guess what? You are the traffic, Muppet. <laughs> what are you doing in the traffic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Guys, thank you very much for being on the show with me.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: Pleasure. Wonderful to be here. Best of luck with your podcast career. Thank you very much. Okay, ciao. Ciao.